When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live on tape from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen Colbert! Hey! Man, you snuck up on me that time. Okay. I like it. Good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, in here, out there, all around the world, welcome to The Late Show. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. It's a personal question. How's everybody doing tonight? Wrong. You're terrible. And I'll tell you why. North American beef prices are soaring. We're all gonna have to switch to something without meat, like Taco Bell. There's one vegan here tonight. <laughs> one. I will find you. Beef is yet another product affected by supply chain issues. And I'll tell you all about it in tonight's Cargo Unchained High Stakes Edition. Where's the beef? No, seriously, where is it? Here's what's going on, folks. Since the pandemic, demand for meat to cook at home is way up while meat producers are facing escalating costs in labor, raw materials, and transportation. So, everything. <laughs> it's like a doctor telling you, Mr. Wilson, your tests came back, and everything's fine except uh, your skin, your bones, and your organs. <laughs> With demand and cost both up, in the past year, prices for sirloin, boneless chuck roast, and bacon have jumped by about 25%, a phenomenon experts are calling meatflation. <laughs> also the name of my short-lived meat-themed balloon company. <laughs> meatflation is also hitting our friends north of the border. In Canada, a rib roast can set you back $100. That's ridiculous. $100, the only hunk of Canadian meat worth that much is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> Is he the sexiest man alive? <laughs> Stick around to find out. Now, I'm sure some of you are saying, Steve, what's the big deal? Why not just eat something other than meat? Shut up. <laughs> meat is just the rib tip of the iceberg here. Prices are also going up for everything from cooking oil to dairy. And the price of making pizza is soaring, forcing New York pizza shops moved away from the popular $1 slice. It's gotten so bad that Pizza Rat can only afford garlic knots. <laughs> and Americans are not happy about this. In, in the latest USA Today Suffolk University Smucker's Goober Grape Poll, <laughs> Joe Biden's approval rating has fallen to a new low of 38%. 38% ain't so bad, Jack. Why, well, I remember when 38 was the highest percent that existed. <laughs> then old Patty Numberton came out and said, hey, fellas, how about 39? 
We all said that's the greatest idea since sliced bread. Then we all went, hey, yeah, why don't we start slicing bread? I'm tired of choking on a loaf. Now I'm serious, folks. The poll, I'm back. The poll did have one bit of good news for Biden. He's not Kamala Harris, because the same poll showed her approval rating at 28%. A record low for a modern vice president. At 28%, Harris's approval rating was even lower than the 30% in 2008 for Dick Cheney, meaning, meaning to improve her popularity, she should seriously consider shooting someone in the face. <laughs> now, why? Just why are these two so unpopular? Well, in a separate CNN poll, the majority of Americans say Biden isn't paying attention to the nation's most important issues. Yes, he's focused on things Americans don't care about, like infrastructure. He needs to change his slogan from Build Back Better to We Have the Meats. <laughs> well, I, for one, I, for one, and you, you gotta drive. You gotta, you gotta drive. drive. I, for one, care about popularity. That's why this show is laser-focused on the one issue Americans really care about. Who is People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive 2021? <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, now is not the time. I'm going to reveal that later in the show. Could it be me? Stay tuned to find out. Speaking of sexy men and Democrats, there's some news about former president and man giving you health care with his eyes. <laughs> Barack Obama. Obama is in Glasgow for COP26, and in a speech yesterday, he referred to Scotland as the Emerald Isles, which is actually the nickname for Ireland. <laughs> then Obama topped his gaffe with a dollop of oops. Since we're in the Emerald Isles here, let me quote the bard, William Shakespeare. So, he called Scotland, Ireland, then quoted an Englishman. <laughs> At least we don't have to check his birth certificate, because that is the most American move ever. <laughs> the Scots, thank you. <laughs> Scots were a little upset. Obama quoted Shakespeare instead of Scotland's bard, Robert Burns. Yes, why didn't he pick Robert Burns? Burns' words just roll off the tongue. Oh, wad some power the gifty gears to see ourselves as others see us. A wad fray money a blunder free us and foolish notion. <laughs> Pretty sure. <laughs> Pretty sure that's about climate change. Uh, meanwhile, uh, stateside, in Congress, they're still focused on who tried to kill everyone in Congress. The January 6th committee is going after the folks who plan to overthrow the election. And I'll tell you all about it in tonight's seditionist Roundup Roundup, Congressional Edition. These neo-Nazis are unstable. Thank you, Horsey. Big headline is that the January 6th committee has issued six subpoenas to the ex-president's top campaign associates, a collection of powerful dum-dums 
who helped orchestrate the latchedest efforts to steal the election. A high-stakes, low-IQ heist on democracy starring pardon criminal Michael Flynn, a.k.a. General Grumpy Pants. Pardon criminal Bernie Carrick, the scalp. Disgraced lawyer John Eastman, the accessorizer. Campaign manager Bill Stepien, bland master flash. Executive assistant on Angela McCallum, the spare Tiffany. And senior campaign advisor Jason Miller as the honey trap. In the days leading up to January 6th, these Trader Joes were plotting how to throw out the election results, huddled together in a set of rooms and suites in the posh Willard Hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. The room bar tab must have been huge. It's like 20 bucks a pop for those mini Molotov cocktails. <laughs> these guys did anything they could to stop Biden from taking office, including putting pressure on Mike Pence to delay or even block certification of the election. Well, good luck. Pence is a master of withstanding peer pressure. Even in high school, his friends couldn't get him to experiment with ungartered socks. <laughs> no, thank you. Elastic is the devil's reach-around. <laughs> the committee... The committee is especially interested in Michael Flynn because he publicly called for the military to intervene and seize voting machines and encouraged the president to impose martial law to force new elections in battleground states. Sending in the U.S. Army to change the results of election is not something this country does in North America. <laughs> and the threat from these clowns is not over. Here's one of them, John Eastman, the crooked lawyer who should be disbarred before I finish this sentence. Just two weeks ago, spreading the lie that the January 6th insurrection was an inside job. The whole thing was a, was a setup. I mean, it was a setup. Uh, John Sullivan, Antifa guy, got paid 60000 bucks by CNN to break in and get video of violence. Yes, CNN organized the insurrection. Everyone remembers when the Senate chamber was presided over by the Wolf Shaman. <laughs> Anderson, I'm breaking in now. Stop the steal. <laughs> then this afternoon, the January 6th committee issued 10 more subpoenas. One more, and they get a free sub. <laughs> Pina, because there's going to be way more subpoenas after this. So, who's up in the fresh batch? Well, does the name Kenneth Klukowski mean anything to you? Because I have no idea who that is. I think he's one of the monsters from Monsters, Inc. I do recognize one person being summoned to Capitol Hill, senior advisor Stephen Miller. Which is surprising. I thought he could only be summoned by sacrificing a goat. We got a great show for you tonight. Up next... The Late Show reveals the sexiest man alive. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. As 
I've been talking about the last couple of days, right now there is one major question on absolutely everyone's minds. Who will be People Magazine's sexiest man alive for 2021? In these divided times, it's the last thing that all Americans care about. <laughs> so, of course, there's been rampant speculation in the sexiness markets. On Thursday, the New York Post reported that the title would go to Chris Evans. Simultaneously, Dwayne The Rock Johnson claimed that it was his, saying he is always going to be the sexiest man alive. <laughs> Which, of course, raises the question, will these two have to fight for the title? And if so, will they get all sweaty and kind of wrestle? That might be sexy. <laughs> well, all the speculation ends tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because it is my distinct honor to have been chosen by the good people at People to be the official person to announce this year's sexiest man alive. And it is not a responsibility that I take lightly. As an official sexiness adjudicator, <laughs> I ran a thorough and comprehensive scientific evaluation on dozens of potentially top sexy living males. And tonight we present a rare behind-the-scenes glimpse of one of those candidates. Jim? Help me, Matthew. <laughs> Amy, please send in my 11 o'clock sexy man. Hi. Uh, excuse me, I think you have the wrong room. This is Sexist Man Alive. Oh, no, that's what I'm here for. Confidence. That's sexy. Have a seat. <laughs> and your name is? Uh, it's Paul Rudd. Uh, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd. I don't, I don't see that. I have a Raul Pud. Oh, that's probably a typo. Okay, correcting people, not sexy. Strike against. But no, you feel free to call me Raul Pud. That's Raul Pud. Anything is fine. Flexibility. That is sexy. Okay. We're back in the black. Uh, let's get started, Paul. Are you ready to be sworn in? Absolutely. Raise your right hand and put your left hand on a photo of your own face. Uh, Did you bring a headshot? Which I could just use my own face? Yes. Okay. I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. To give the sexiest answers I can. To give the sexiest answers I can. To be a man. To be a man. And stay alive. Stay alive. So help me, McConaughey. So help me, McConaughey. Okay, that's great. You're ready. When was the first time that you knew that you were sexy? I guess when, like when I was when I was a baby. I think a, I think a baby, but it was I was a baby. I didn't I didn't know what sexy was. Mm -hmm. I just felt different. Okay, how so? Well, I had a I wore a thong diaper. My diaper was a thong. Okay. Um, and I knew mm -hmm. that the other kids didn't do that, but it. Mm -hmm. Looking back, obviously, that's very sexy, but I just thought it was French. Okay. All right. When it comes to sexiness, what's your biggest weakness? Oh, boy. Uh, well, you know what? I have, a, I have a weird foot. I suffer from a thing called um, Big Pinky. What's that? Well, I'll... Hey! I hope that doesn't count against me. You know what? One point for honesty. 
That's vulnerability. Let's look at some of your sexy work experience. Did you bring a resume? Uh, I did. Okay. Okay. Calvin Klein. Oh. Calvin Klein perfume? Uh, no, no, I just, uh, I just rubbed my underwear on it. <laughs> Let's talk about Clueless. Um, you were the love interest there, but you're her brother. Well, stepbrother, yeah. Okay, Paul, this is sexiest man alive, not porniest man alive. It was based on Jane Austen. Porn. Yeah. Okay. Are you lactose intolerant? Uh, no, but I'm willing to try. Okay, great. Let's take a look at these three men right here. What, what do you see that's in common? Well, they're all kind of casually reclining. Posture. Can I see you slump? Show me, show me a sexy slump. Sure thing. Can I go to the stand in front of that show? Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you turn around, please? Turn around, please. Stay at the same level. Stay at the same height. Stay at the same height. Stay down there. Turn around. Very slowly. Slowly. No. Sir. This is good? Yep. Let's do a quick word. Sorry. Why don't you sit down? I think, you've, been, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think you've done enough damage. Paul, uh, cards on the table. I'm impressed so far. I mean, you're presenting very sexily, uh, mentally, at least. But, and not everyone knows this, but there is a certain physical component to Sexiest Man Alive as well. Are you ready for an examination? Yes. Let's do it. Get up sexy, get up sexy. Get up sexy, please. That's it. Wow, what a roller coaster ride. My heart is pounding, and I know what's coming. Ladies and gentlemen, stick around, because when we come back, I run Paul through his sexy paces. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. If you're just joining us, we are continuing our ongoing coverage of 2021's Sexiest Man Alive. When we left off, Paul Rudd proved he had the mind to be sexy. But what about the thing he carries his mind around in? His body. Jim? Step two was bringing Paul Rudd into the late show sexiness lab for a full rundown. Age? 52. <laughs> Sense of humor. Very sexy. All right, let's do an oral exam. 
See what it looks like when you put one finger in your mouth. <laughs> Two fingers? Can you get the whole fist in there? Thank you. Okay, yeah. Do you want hands? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let me check out those eyes. Okay? All right? Pick a spot on the wall. Pick a spot on the wall. Okay? Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, those are dreamy. Those are dreamy. Well, Paul, uh, I think you might need glasses. Really? Is my vision bad? No, I just think they might be sexy. Here, try these on. Wow. Wow, I really wish I could see you right now. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah. Yep, oh. Yeah, you do seem smarter. That is sexy. Paul was clearly in good physical shape, but did he have what it takes to be best in breed? All right, up, 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 up. Pace, 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 that's good. All right, sit proud, sit proud, chin up. Okay, haunches, haunches, haunches. Okay, back, back, that's good, that's good. All right, okay, let's check those teeth and gums. There we go, okay. Let's check your coat, let's check your coat. That's good, that's good, okay, all right, and Good. All right, and arm, and arm, and that's good. That's good, that's good. And legs, that's legs, and hold it, that's good. That's good, that's good, good. Mm -hmm. very good, all right. Shake it sexy, shake it sexy. Good boy, good boy, good boy. All right, it's good, all right. Leave it. Leave it. Wait. Eyes. Okay. Okay, that's good. Come on, back, back it up, back it, back it. Back it up, back it up, back it up like a Tonka truck. Okay, show me the bradonkadonk. Show me the bradonkadonk. Good, 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 good. Follow me, follow me. Back it up. Who's a sexy boy? Me! Paul was a sexy boy, but it was time to see if that sexiness could show up on camera with a seductive photo shoot. Try to imagine drilling and screwing as a metaphor for sex. That's it, turn it on. Do you know how to turn it on? Okay, if you can't turn the sander on, you can't turn people on. Do you understand the metaphor? Yeah, I do. Can you hit that note? Anyone can make construction worker look sexy, so I gave Paul a real challenge. You're a monk. Say something sexy. No, you have a valve silence. Don't make any noise. 
Dance for the Lord. Stroke the rope. That's it. That's that's it. Fight, fight the rope. Fight, fight the rope. Lose, 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 lose. Make friends with the rope. Make friends. Apologize. Kiss the rope. Kiss it. And kneel. And kneel. Cry, but not with your eyes. Everywhere else with your eyes. Eyes are still happy. Everything else is sad. Body sad. Face is happy. One half of your mouth is sad. Top sad, bottom's happy. Finally, Paul had to land the sexiest look of all, the slow motion water shot. Over the top of your head, and let it pour down your face. And then just whisper, help me, I'm drowning. Help me, help me, I'm drowning. It's cold. What are you drowning in? Cold water. No, sexiness. Sexy water. Look at me and say, help me, I'm drowning in sexiness. Help me, I'm drowning in sexiness. <laughs> That's it. Sexiness. Sexiness. That's it. Look at me. Right over here. Help. Okay. I'm going to drown. Sexiness. Look up at me. Look up. Okay. <laughs> you got to no, want, no. want, want it. Do you want it? I want it. Do you want it? I want it. Put your head in the water and stop breathing. And with that, the test was complete and the science was in. Paul, sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, I just got the results back from the lab. And, um... Look, there's no easy way to say this. You tested negative for sexy. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's okay. I get it. it makes sense. Um, I appreciate you just giving me a shot, honestly. And uh, thank you. Thank you for your time. I look forward to seeing who you pick because I know it's just going to be great. So. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Why are you slow clapping? Why are you all slow clapping? Why are you speeding up? Don't you see, Paul? There's nothing sexier than humility. That was the last test. And you passed, Paul. You passed. Wait. Do you mean that... You're sexy. I'm, I'm sexy? Paul, you're the sexiest man alive. Help me, help me. Get him up. I'm sexy. I'm the sexiest man alive. I'm You're the sexiest man alive. You're the sexiest man alive. I'm the sexiest man alive. Exclusive premiere of Paul Rudd's Sexiest Man Alive cover. Take a look. There you go. For more information, for more information go to people.com and you can pick up this week's Sexiest Man Alive issue on newsstands this Friday or 
pick up this limited edition cover I will be selling in the alley behind the theater after the show. Our thanks to Paul Rudd. See more of him and his sexiness when he's a guest on this late show this coming Monday. We'll be right back with sexy runner-up Quentin Tarantino. People who weren't looking oh, couldn't no, see no, that. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Tarantino gets the standing O. Now, uh, sir, nice to see you again. Good to see it's you. It's been a little bit. A lot's happened in your life since the last time I saw you. Yes. You got married uh -huh. and you had a kid. Mm -hmm. You've also written your first novel. Yes. Okay. It is Bam! a novelization yeah. of your movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, for the people who don't know what a novelization is, I read a bunch of them when I was a kid. Big uh -huh. Alan Dean Foster fan. <laughs> I don't know if you read any of those. He was the king he of that. Yeah, yeah, Star the Wars and the yeah. Alien series. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and how, how did, what are they and how did you get into them? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because actually novelizations were the first adult novels that I bought myself when I was a little boy. Sure. Because, you know, uh, you go into the... the uh, the drugstore or the 7-Eleven or whatever it was, mm -hmm. and then there was like the comic book spinner rack, and that's where I always went to. Same here, yeah. But next to it was the paperback spinner rack. Mm -hmm. And at some point, the paperback spinner rack drew me away from the comic book spinner rack. And um, the first novelization that I bought was a novelization uh, for the Burt Reynolds movie, W.W. and the Dixie Dance Kings. Wow. Which was written by its screenwriter, Thomas Rickman. Oh, there you go. Who later won an Oscar for writing uh, the screenplay for Coal Miner's Daughter. And so I read that novelization, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And that got, set me on a whole thing of reading novelizations. Now, it was interesting, though. I, mit I didn't see W.W. and the Dixie Dance Kings when it came out. Two years later, because movies hung around at least as the lower half of double features for a long time back then. So two years after I loved this book and read it like three times already, mm -hmm. uh, uh, it was playing at a, at a theater in the lower half of a double feature. And so I went and saw it. And I didn't like it anywhere near as much as I liked the novelization. Then, when Thomas Rickman won the Oscar for uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, they did an interview with him. And they asked him how he got started. He goes, well, you know, the first script I ever wrote that, that got made was a movie called W.W. and the Dixie Dance Kings. But I thought they really messed it up. But then they asked me if I wanted to write the novelization. And I said yes. And I said yes because I thought, well, at least one person will know what I intended. I'm that one person! <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a great story, but it raises... Well, that raises a very interesting sort of quandary here, is that you wrote uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you directed Once Upon a Time in <laughs> yes. Hollywood, and you still feel that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino didn't get it right, so you decided <laughs> to novelize... Why, then why write this? Okay, why I wrote this was because... out you know, Sometime in the last like year and a half or so, or I guess two years... Um, I started thinking about those novelizations that I, that I, I grew up reading. And then I, I still have them all. So I, I got them all together. <laughs> like we, we had a little tea party. <laughs> Fellas. Right. I, 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 we got them all together. 
and then I uh, uh, started reading some of the ones that I liked before, and I, I liked them just as much as I did then. And I started reading some of the ones that I bought that I never got around to reading. I go, wow, I know this is a debased genre of literature, but I'm all about debased genres of art, all sure, right, sure, that sure. people don't respect. And I was like, these are fun, man. These are really, really fun. I should do one of these. And so my initial thought was to do a novelization of Reservoir Dogs. And just work yeah, yeah. through. The... Yeah, yeah. And I wrote, I wrote, well, I don't know about that, but let me start with one, all right? So I thought Reservoir Dogs, and so I wrote two chapters of the Reservoir Dogs novel. I mean, part of the reason I thought the Reservoir Dogs would be good is because, well, I mean, you know, there's a crime, crime and mystery section in every bookstore. It's got a place ready to go, you know? Um, but then I was, like, writing it, and I go, well, wait a minute, what am I doing? My last movie was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. People seemed to like it. All right? It was a success. People want to know more about those characters. And I have a ton of material that I could never put in the movie. So why this... Wait, why don't you... Why do you have a ton of material that can never fit in the movie? Well, because the movie's only so much... Because it can only be so long. Okay. Yeah, you know, I had a ton of you know, I, I had a ton of world building. I had a ton of stuff, but mm -hmm. when you put it into a movie, it's got to you know. It... We have to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Quentin Tarantino, everybody. Hey, everybody, we're back with the author of the new novel, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mr. Quentin Tarantino, I want to ask you, as long as I've got a uh, movie master over here, a guy who knows a lot about movies, and, and we might enjoy a few movies in common, um, do you have any favorite adaptations? Because I do, and I wanted to ask you. Please. I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the original short story or novella that The Thing is based on. Oh, Who on, Goes There? Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. Uh -huh. And have you, do you enjoy The Thing? Yeah. I, I, I love... You, 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 I, I love both of them. I love Howard Hawks' is The Thing, and I love John Carpenter's Well, I like John Carpenter's The Thing because it actually explores the, yeah, yeah. the, the sort of the mechanics of the beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. Uh, in, 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 a, in, in an analog way, which I really love, yeah, yeah, too. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. practical, all the oh, effects. Oh, well, no, well, no, well, okay. Rob Bottin's effects in that movie are some of the greatest practical special effects ever put on a, on, on, on a movie theater screen. Um, no, it... it it's one of the great, I think it's one of the greatest horror movies ever made, if not one of the greatest movies ever I made. I completely agree. It is my happy place. If there's something wrong in my life, I go yeah. watch it. If my kids see me watching The Thing, they go, is everything okay, Dad? <laughs> and it's a weird happy place to be That's in, but it's so, it's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful it. adaptation of the feeling of the novella. Well, you know, the thing about it was, actually, one of the reasons that The Thing holds a special place in my heart is the idea that... Um, I love horror movies. I'm a big horror movie fan. I don't get scared in horror movies. I, I respond to suspense. I respond yeah. to that. But, uh, oh, what's going to happen next? And I, I can jump by a boo scare. But that's not really terror. I don't get scared in movies. The thing I got scared in, and, and I was scared, and it made me want to put it under a microscope about why I was actually frightened during that movie. And I think the reason is this is because if you know the movie, part of the situation is these men are trapped in this situation in this Arctic, Ar Arctic research center. And so one or more of them are, are possibly this thing that's going to devour all of them. And no one knows if, if you are the guy I've known forever or if you're a thing. Right. And the movie makes the paranoia of that so palpable. So real. It's like it's almost like another character in the movie. Just the, the yes, sheer paranoia of exactly. it. Exactly. 
but they're trapped in, in, in you know, the, the Antarctic. They're trapped in this, this, this shelter. And so the paranoia is bouncing off of the four walls, bouncing, 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 the fear, the paranoia, bouncing, 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 until it has nowhere to go except through the fourth wall into the audience. Mm. And I started feeling exactly like they felt. Which I think is an enormous uh, indicator of great art, is that yeah. it changes how you feel about how you look at the art. Absolutely. And, but, but by me putting that under a microscope and realizing, okay, I'm affected by the thing and for that reason, and I figure out why it is, when I started writing Reservoir Dogs, I was like, I need to have that aspect that's in the thing. I need to trap these, 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 these bastards. I need to trap them in this warehouse. And no one can trust anybody else. And I want the paranoia of what's going on in that warehouse to bounce across the walls. And hopefully, like in the thing, it will go out into the audience. Studios are rethinking whether theatrical releases are worth it. Mm -hmm. Make the case right now for the big silver. Why that should be the first choice? Well, I think the, I think the main reason is... Um, TV's fun, it's good, it's, uh, I've carried memories that I've seen on television for most of my life. But when it comes to watching a movie, and I've seen many movies that have become some of my favorite movies, and the only way I've ever seen them is on television. We can, you can go on to a whole thing. A lot of the classic movies I saw, I saw on late night television. The Thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, the original The Thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, the th but the thing is... Uh, uh, <laughs> But it's also a disposable experience. There is an aspect about it being disposable. When, you, when a movie comes out that you're interested enough to see and it makes you leave your house and buy a ticket and you could do anything in the world you want that night, but you decide to go to see a film, one film in particular, and you go to see it, and maybe you're on your own, maybe it's in the afternoon, or maybe it's with your date or your wife or whoever, and you go and see it, and you, and you buy a ticket, and you sit down, and you have an experience. And you have an experience with a bunch of strangers. And at that moment, once the movie gets going, once the lights are down, you become a collective. This audience here is a collective. There's you by yourself. You, I'm talking to you. There's you by yourself. <laughs> But then there's all of you together. And, th and then you start appreciating the movie in that way. And when you have a good experience, it's not always a good experience, but when you have a good experience, those are the things that stay in your mind and that you remember for the rest of your life. And they become indelible, indelible snapshots. OK, I'll go to the movies. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is on sale now. Quentin Tarantino, everybody. This has been The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Weeknights at 11.35, 10.35 Central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Late Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more.